Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bad on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos, and thank you so much for checking us out on YouTube. Like and subscribe this video. We're coming up with our show in about 30 seconds. But first, let's hear from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. And guys, it's that time of year as college basketball takes center stage with the tournament finally upon us. And if you're looking to wager this year, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your updated odds and info, along with great contests, including the bracket contest, where you have a chance to take home the top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today. Receive a 50% Welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V to get started. BetOnline, it's your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. Super excited to have both guests. Both are returning guests here today, but we are talking a little bit about some baseball, maybe a little bit about some old-school King County baseball more specifically. Let's bring in our panel for today. He has been killing it this year on the pre and post for WGN Radio, covering the Blackhawks all season long. It's Joe Brand. Welcome back, Joe. Joey, thanks for having me as always. Always a fun time. Good to see you. And also another returning guest. Super excited to have him back and thankful for his time. He is the play-by-play announcer for all of your favorite New York Mets games this season on the radio with Howie Rose. It's Wayne Randazzo. Wayne, welcome back. How are you? Thanks, Joey. Thanks for having me. Uh, all good here. I'm, I'm also the announcer for the games that don't turn out so well for the Mets, too, which uh, which happens from time to time. That's the commitment that we need here. Um, and we're going to get to your Mets in a little bit because hopefully I think you guys might be on the more of the W side this season than the L side with that pitching staff that you have. Uh, but first, you guys, I kind of want to uh, get you guys together because for the listeners in the audience uh, that might not be aware, I mean, you two worked alongside each other uh, back in the day before you're now uh, respective spots. And maybe, Wayne, if you want to go first, you guys both worked alongside each other for with Kane County Cougars. And for you, Wayne, when I say Kane County Cougars, you know, usually with people, there's a mental image that comes up. That What's that first mental image that comes to mind when you when I mention Kane County? Well, for me, it's not even about the time I was there. It was the time growing up around there. You know, I, I went to uh, St. Charles High School, which, you know, was like five minutes away from the uh, what was Elfstrom Stadium in Geneva when I was a kid and uh, went to a, a good number of Cougars games as a kid uh, before they built that that little second deck they have and that those uh, sweet areas, you know, just kind of wide open there at, uh, at the Cougars Stadium and you know, my uh, high school team won state at, at the Cougars Stadium and, uh, you know, they had their first ever game against St. Charles North there. Uh, so it kind of a lot of memories about being a kid in that area and, and seeing the Cougars. I remember when they had Adrian Gonzalez and Charles Johnson and all those good young Marlins prospects that were coming up at that time. So really my, my memories go to that before they go to actually working there it was really uh, it was it was fun to end up as the announcer there and to do games for the Cougars uh, was was an added experience. But, uh, you know, what what King County Cougars do best and did best is is cater to the families around the area and in the Chicago suburbs that you know could go to a game on the cheap and enjoy uh, the baseball experience. And they've always been great at doing that. And, and they continue to be. Well, what's cool is almost everything that Wayne said still continues. Um, I didn't grow up going to King County Cougar games because I'm from a different part of town, Southside Chicago and Oak Lawn. So I actually went to Cook County Cheetah games, which was kind of the, the another competing team. But um, 
I'll never forget, you know, the first time I was at the ballpark was being interviewed by Wayne. And then the season kicked off. It, it was quite the experience that I'll always be grateful for. And then once the summer really started rolling in, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and even Sunday day games, that place got packed. And I, I was really in awe. I'm like, where are these people coming from? You know, I, I never knew a, a minor league team could have this type of pull, this type of turnout. And then you just come to realize kind of how Wayne was saying, it's it's that neighborhood camaraderie, that neighborhood feel. You've got St. Charles, you've got Aurora, you've got Geneva. And it's kind of like the Friday night football of the summer. You know, it's all those towns coming together uh, for the minor league team, but it's, it's more than a minor league experience. And uh, it, it had been notorious throughout not only the Midwest League, but all of minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, now we're on the outside looking in of affiliated baseball, but uh, the American Association is, has really been fun to be a part of, and, and they're thrilled to have us in the mix now because uh, their fans get to witness some, some really good crowds and just a, a really good atmosphere, and it's, I'm very lucky to be a part of it for, for this long, you know, wanting to be a baseball broadcaster for forever and being able to do it so close to home. It couldn't pick a better place. Wayne, when Joe mentions the fact that you interviewed him when he first came on with King County Cougars. Do you remember that interview and what tactics you deployed? Was it stress test? Was it an uh, ink blot? What is it? The Horshack test? Uh, did you send him through the ring or what? Do you remember, recall that interview? Yeah, no, I just made him go talk to Bill Baker. I think that was uh, <laughs> a stress test at that point. But uh, no, I think, uh, I think Joe, you know, was, was someone we had our eye on uh, because we, we were looking for somebody who was, uh, in the area, you know, there was another kid who was pretty good and actually now works for uh, CBS Sports Network, Chris Lewis, who was uh, in the running. But Chris was up in the Pacific Northwest and was, you know, that kind of took him out of the game. Uh, there was another guy around Champagne who was in the mix that uh, was good. And then that's kind of what we were looking for were guys around the area. You know, Joe had uh, interned around the, the people at WGN that, that I knew and um, you know, I know that he was in contact with some people that uh, were mentors of mine. So you know, I think Joe kind of stood out because his tape was really good and because he was a local guy and uh, was someone that I thought could just step in and and do the games really that I wasn't there for. You know, at that time I was planning uh, to not travel much and, you know, Joe probably would have done, uh, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 games even by himself. And we really needed someone who could carry the ball when I wasn't there. And, um, you know, I thought Joe just checked all the boxes of, of what we were looking for. Uh, it turned out, you know, Joe did most of the games that year by himself because I ended up uh, going to the score full-time. I'd been part-time when Joe was interviewing. And then it became kind of a full-time job for me at the score. So I lobbied for Joe to just kind of take the reins. I, I thought he could handle it. And, um, you know, he was he was ready to step in and he, and he did a really good job that year and, and really entrenched himself uh, within the Cougars organization, which is why you know he's still a part of it now several years later. And this question, next question can be for both of you, if that's all right. But, Joe, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're still involved with the King County Cougars, but, man, you've moved on and now you're doing pre and post for the Chicago Blackhawks uh, with WGN Radio following that team every single day. Is there a a lesson, a principle or a fundamental that you kind of molded and shaped uh, either maybe learn from Wayne or others that are around you with King County that you still kind of continue to go back to as you now continue to progress in your career. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I base a lot of my career and, and a lot of the essence I bring on air based off of what I learned from Wayne just in that one year. Uh, you know, I, I used the word grateful earlier because getting that gig with the Cougars just allowed me to do baseball games at home. But then once the season started, I realized it was so much more. You know, Wayne going on full time at the score allowed me to learn from him, but also just go out and do it too. It was a best case scenario because the days Wayne was there, I got to learn under him and I learned so much. And the days he wasn't, I got to, you know, really cut my teeth. And let's not even forget the fact that that Cougar team was unbelievable. They had no flaws. They won the championship. Um, it was the second year they were affiliated with the Cubs. Kyle Schwarber was on the team. Uh, and it was just a phenomenal team, so much great chemistry. And I remember Wayne even saying, like, don't get used to this. This isn't normally how this happened. <laughs> um, but Wayne, Wayne just, uh, you know, kind of showed me the, ro the ropes of Kane County, but also the industry, too. I mean, he made himself available at the score so often. And a lot of times he wasn't able to do Cougar games because he was filling in on White Sox pre and post. And now all of a sudden, I mean, not all of a sudden, but look at him now, he's with the Mets. So he showed me how crucial and important that stepping stone is, that ladder is to make yourself available, no matter what company or team you're working for, to make yourself useful in multiple avenues and multiple ways. And that's kind of what I brought to WGN with covering the Blackhawks. I went from producing to reporting to co-hosting a podcast. And then when there was an opening, uh, you know, they thought of me to take over pre and post. And I, I owe a big deal of that to, to Wayne you know, showing me how to make my way up in the business. Um, and yeah, I still continue to do that today. Yeah, it should be Wayne, said too, uh, Joey, that, you know, a lot of that happens because of the Cougars, because of Curtis Haug, who is the general manager there, you know, there are a lot of minor league teams, you know, they're not necessarily trying to stand in your way of, of, of progress, but, you know, you, they've hired you to do a job and they expect you to do it. And, um, you know, they, they don't, they're not exactly keen on letting you out of those games to, to do another job, uh, which is their right. But, you know, the, the Cougars understand what our position is. They've had many broadcasters get to the big leagues. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not just me. Dave Wills was their first ever announcer and, and he has had a long major league career now and, and mostly with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Scott Bransky is with the Phillies. You know, Patrick Keenis was there and he's, he's doing a lot of Olympic stuff and now Joe's with the Blackhawks. So uh, the Cougars have allowed that progress to take place because they understand what, what it takes in the broadcasting industry. They want their people to do well, uh, even beyond what, what happens there. And I think that's a credit to, to Curtis and the kind of uh, organization that, that he runs. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And also, I think Wayne brought up once uh, when I was there that there's only one former broadcaster uh, that's no longer in baseball or in sports from the Kane County Cougars. I mean, Jeff Hems in Nashville, uh, Mike Antonellis is in Pawtucket. I'm sure there's a couple more, but uh, yeah. And it, you know, Wayne brings up Curtis and, and how important he's been in that whole role. I think, you know, I just kind of forget about it because he's just a flexible, easygoing guy that he's, he's he understands the business. He understands our situations. And uh, I guess I'm guilty of taking it for granted every once in a while, but yeah, that's, that's a huge point because not many minor league teams are, uh, is that, uh, are that flexible and that willing to uh, help you progress throughout your career. Well, what a great point. And you're really illustrating the rich history of King County Cougars and what it means to be a part of that team. 
and and obviously move forward throughout your career. And Wayne, if I can ask you sort of a similar question, is there a particular lesson or principle that you continue to hark back upon with from your Kane County time now that you are with the New York Mets? And if I can actually ask you additionally, in your opinion, is there ever is there ever a time when is, is there is it harder to call a game or call a losing season as opposed to a winning season? Or maybe is the grander lesson, it doesn't matter whether they're winning or losing, the call is still the same. Well, in the vacuum of a game, a single game, you know, you do the best job you can to make that particular game entertaining. You know, growing up, watching the Cubs and watching Harry Carey, as a kid, you you really think that the Cubs have a chance to win every game, that today's the day they're going to beat the Pirates, who've got Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla and Andy Van Slyke, no problem, because Harry's there and he's making it so exciting. And if they do pull one out, you think this is this is a great team. Uh, but that was Harry. That was the, the broadcast style there. That was his his way of making each game sound important, even though in reality the Cubs were probably 20 games behind the Pirates for first place in, in 1991 and had no chance of catching them really in the division. But that one game on that one day, you know, they had a chance to win and something exciting could happen. Um, so I think in, in that particular day, you don't really think too much about the standing. And obviously if it's a meaningful game in the standings, and that, that gives you a little bit more uh, of a boost, a little bit more juice to broadcast a, a particular game on a particular day. But I think overall, you don't, you don't really focus on that because you have a job to do and you want to make that game sound entertaining and you want to make that game feel important for the fans and, and for the listeners who, who do care about the team on, on a daily basis. So uh, it's, it's probably easier to broadcast a winning team, you know, on, on a, in the grand scheme of things, but on a day-to-day basis, I don't, I don't think that it matters too much. I love that you hearken back to those early nineties pirates teams. Cause I could just see <laughs> Harry Carey could be like, you know, Looks like the Cubs are making Jim Leland nervous. It's his fourth cigarette in the last two innings here as we move <laughs> move into right. the eighth inning. And Leland was just a chain smoker, so that didn't it didn't really have no effect on the game. Yeah, no, it was happening. It was happening nonetheless. Uh, let's roll it forward to baseball on the field if we can, real quick, Wayne. And I'm, I'm going to follow up again with you uh, because again, you know, I had you on last year and we had Francisco Lindor come into the Mets, and that was very exciting. The Mets got even more exciting this offseason. I mean. I want to get to the news about Chris Bassett in just a moment, but can we just talk about Max Scherzer for a second? You know, what do you think he's going to have an impact on the field? But also, I think Mets fans have to be really excited about the guy off the field too as well. He's such a quotable player, such a leader, not just on the field but off the field. Just talk about what you think the impact of Max Scherzer on the Mets is going to have for uh, for the team and then the NL East in general this season. Yeah, the, the Mets, you know, can be operatic at times. You know, as an organization, they really – uh, lean into the drama a lot, whether they want it or not. You know, there's a lot of times where it just feels like it's nonstop, where something is is unusual around the Mets organization. It happened a few times last year. You know, Lindor and McNeil are fighting in the clubhouse, and then they say they were arguing about whether it was a rat or a raccoon, which was completely ridiculous. Um, it's just one of many things that that end up happening over the course of a season. You know, Jacob Degrom gets shut down. And you don't really know why. And it was unclear as to the reasons that DeGrom wasn't available to the team. And you had a, a, a massive slump all the way around. You had Marcus Stroman blocking every Mets fan possible on Twitter and, um, you know, kind of creating a, a, an us versus them mentality. 
uh, toward the media. So there were some issues that I think they really wanted to clean up. And I think what the grand scheme of their plans for this offseason was to tighten up the leadership qualities of what was happening inside the clubhouse. And pretty much every move they've made has been with that in mind. It's started with Mark Canna, who's a, a great clubhouse guy. You get Starling Marte, who's very well respected. Even though Cano's had his issues with, with the PED suspensions, he's still a very admired person in that clubhouse, especially by the Latino players. So he's coming back. You, you bring in, uh, you bring in these other guys. Also, you mentioned Bassett, who is another one who's got this great reputation, a, a hard nosed guy, a grinder, a leader, a guy who will speak his mind and get people to follow along. Well, nobody represents all of that better than Max Scherzer. Forget about the hall of fame career on the mound, just as the kind of guy that he is, the work ethic, the hard nosed mentality, what it takes to win in a baseball game and in a baseball season, not to mention Buck Showalter's your manager now. And, and what it's all about is creating this leadership that the Mets clearly had a void in, in 2020 or 2021. So Scherzer comes in and he brings that with him. You know, we'll, we'll see what you get on the mound. Is he going to throw 250 innings at age 37 and be the guy he was even three or four years ago? I don't know, but I, I think the Mets might have to be a little bit careful with his workload as they go along. He complained of a, of a dead arm in October and, and just said he was kind of overcooked for the Dodgers last year. We know he's going to do everything it takes to win. So I, I think in Scherzer's case, the Mets have to make sure that he's able to go the distance, but otherwise it's, it's an enormous pickup more, I think for what he does off the field and even what he does on. It. And if I can kind of follow up with that a little bit, rolling it forward, and obviously, real quick, we're assuming Pete, Pete Alonso's okay, correct? That was a very, very scary story that came out yesterday. Everything that you've heard so far, everything's fine with him, correct? Yeah, he's out there taking grounders and BP today. You know, he's, he's, he's fine. He got a little scratch on his arm somehow. That, that was the only thing that happened to him. Well, so in relation to what you're talking about with 162, because I think, yeah, we're, we're, everyone's very familiar with what are the Mets going to get from DeGrom. Hopefully he's just healthy when October comes around. And you're starting to look at Bassett, Scherzer, and DeGrom – a top three that I was trying to go through the list. I mean, I don't know. You've got Bueller, Urias, and Kershaw maybe in L.A. You've got the top three in Milwaukee. They might now have the best top three rotation guys in baseball, let alone maybe the National League. And you're looking at this NL East that continues to get better every single year. Do you think maybe in terms of all the augmentation that they did in the offseason, over a course of 162 games, would it maybe be more beneficial for this Mets lineup to show up more on a consistent basis than this rotation or maybe the other way around? Which do you think might be more of an X factor for the Mets this year? Well, I think the, the pitching will be there if, if they're healthy. You know, DeGrom pitched a half season last year, mentioned Scherzer's dead arm toward the end. You know, they need those guys to, to make their starts. If those guys make even 50 starts combined, I think the Mets are in good shape. So I, I don't think the Mets are worried about the pitching when the guys are out there. Now, the offense, we saw a lot of slumping last year. We saw guys who had very good seasons in 19 and 20 have their worst years in 21. Altogether, McCann had his worst year. Lindor had probably his worst year. Dominic Smith and McNeil and Conforto, all these guys had their worst seasons. You know, really, Alonzo and Nimmo were the only two guys that made what should have been expected of them, although Nimmo's had his own problems with, with injuries over the years, too. So if the Mets are able to turn things around offensively, it should be a good year for them. They've got Eric Chavez now as their hitting coach. 
There was a lot of trouble, I think, for the Mets hitters last year after Chili Davis got fired with ingesting information that was given to them by Hugh Quattlebaum and, and the hitting coaches. I, I think there was, a, there was too much of it. There was kind of an overload with what they were doing at the plate and how they were thinking through at bats. And I think Eric Chavez is going to come in and, and simplify things. And I would expect the Mets to, to hit more like they did a couple of years ago than how they did last year. And Wayne, final one on the Mets, just real quick. Uh, there's a lot of talk and scuttlebutt about the White Sox being interested in Michael Conforto. If you could, for White Sox fans in our audience, just kind of describe if they did go out and acquire Conforto, what kind of player are they acquiring? Yeah, you know, Chuck Garfine asked asked me the same thing a month or two ago, right before the lockout, um, about Conforto. And, you know, he's an interesting player. I, I think that at the end of the day, Michael's as talented as, as pretty much anybody in Major League Baseball. I think Conforto, from an offensive standpoint, can hit as well as anybody can on, on his best day. But you don't, you don't know when his best day is going to happen, and you don't know how long it's going to last. You know, he can – be great for two months and then be horrible for two months. Um, it, so it, it's, it's just a matter of Michael being consistent enough to put together the type of all-star numbers that he can. And, and he's still young. You know, he's still a guy in his late twenties. He's still got all this talent. I think he's going to be a great pickup for whoever brings him in. And if that does end up being the White Sox, I think that's a good move. The question is, will a team like the White Sox, want to give him a big contract or are they hoping that he kind of settles for a one-year prove-it deal coming off what was a, a rough season for him so we'll see what the market is for Conforto but I think whoever signs him is going to get a guy that's that can be very impactful to their lineup yeah me and Joe were talking on the pre-pod the market is interesting because April 7th is coming one way or the other for a lot of these players and you're kind of wondering now is the slowing down of the free agency market right now kind of I don't want to say squeezing, but it is a little bit of like these guys got to get signed and they're going to have to sign for a certain amount of dollars and years and they'll be interesting. Joe, I want to throw it over to you real quick. Uh, just in general, you know, what, what is your opinion on what you just think the Cubs plan is overall? You know, they've got a lot of prospects. They're 18, 19, 20 years old right now. So clearly, if they do come up and they are successful three or four years, maybe at best. So there's kind of this three, four year window right now. The lockout's over. You know, hopefully fans will be back in the stands permanently moving forward. Fingers crossed. You know, long-term, you know, what do you think the Cubs are going to try and do, not just this year, but try and rebuild this team a little bit? Because it's not like the kids are going to come up right away this year. Well, that's the thing. I don't think it's going to be a traditional rebuild, and I think Jed Hoyer has basically explained that, too, because they really can't go into a full-on rebuild when you've got guys like Wills Contreras, Kyle Hendricks, uh, now Marcus Stroman, and, you know, after the recent signing of Andre Elton Simmons, it's kind of a, a plug-and-place type thing. Um, I do like the moves that they have made. Uh, I'm really excited to see how Nick Madrigal is going to progress throughout his career. Uh, now going, coming on the other side of town, he's exactly the type of hitter that the Cubs haven't had for a number of years. You know, they've always gone for these uh, power hitting, uh, gap hitting, you know, big swingers. And Nick Madrigal is a guy that gets on base and he's a scrappy hitter. So I like to see that uh, more of a spread of the wealth offensively. Um, it, it's hard to think that they're totally out of the Carlos Correa race. I know this Andrelton Simmons signing might say otherwise, but um, you know, it, it's a one-year deal with Simmons. So Jed Hoyer and the Cubs have always said, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal because it leaves a lot of options for you. And even when they went through that first rebuild, that gave them the option to, you know, kind of sign a guy 
with low risk uh, for one year because, okay, if you hit, you hit, and either you're in contention or you're not. And if you're not in contention, then you can flip them and you can get something good that does help you in the long run. Uh, so listen, I understand why Cubs fans might be frustrated that this is the path, the way the Cubs went, but I also think baseball, I mean, let's face it, a big reason why the whole lockout, uh, we had all those disputes is because they want to see teams stop tanking. They don't want teams to go through so many years of just bad baseball intentionally. And I I don't know if it's going to be as productive and as profitable as it, as it was when the Cubs and the Astros accomplished it. And you know, a team like the White Sox still waiting on that World Series championship. It's still early, but, um, you know, it, it, it worked for a few teams. But now with so many teams going that route, how do you stand out among the rest? So uh, I, I think it's, again, it's not so much an entire rebuild for the Cubs, more of a plug in place and uh, fill the holes that you need as, as you go along. And But stock up your, your farm system, too, because I think that's a big reason of the Cubs' demise is the future wasn't as solid as it was when they went through that first rebuild for whatever reason scouting dipped and uh you know you never saw guys come up to the majors and make an impact other than you know ian happ and nico horner that's about it david Bodie, but he was kind of a surprise um it's not like there was this rush of talent like there was back in 2015 so they, they got to fix that and it seems like they have been uh, kind of revamping the scouting department and a few uh, different people in the front office. Uh, I still have faith that Jed Hoyer is a guy that can turn those things around. But uh, yeah, not not an official rebuild for a long-winded answer. Yeah, now they're banking on guys like Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele, some of those homegrown guys to maybe come yeah. up and pop, and we'll see what happens there. On top of it, too, I mean, it is, I'd be remiss not to say that it is the third season in a row of a destabilized baseball schedule. I mean, these guys are missing some crucial time in spring training, and the health of players is going to be paramount throughout this season. And for the Cubs perspective, maybe this isn't so bad as much as it hurts my heart that, you know, maybe you do start spending those dollars when you have a little bit more of a stable schedule and baseball's back on track and we have everything a little bit at a normal pace. I want to get you guys out of here on just one more topic. Um, you know, we were just talking about the lockout and some of the things that uh, baseball is trying to do to just change the game. So I will give you guys a, an option to pick of which one you think might be the most impactful. Joe, we'll start with you. Of all the things that are being considered right now, obviously Universal DH is going in. As of right now, it sounds like we're going back to nine-inning doubleheaders. But we also have larger bases, pitch clock, and banning the shift. Of all of those, positive positive or negative, which one do you think could perhaps be most impactful on the game of baseball? Well, I know Wayne and I disagree a lot on a few of these things. Uh, I'm a fan of the <laughs> universal DH. I think it's just you got to catch up with the times in terms of baseball. Minor leaguers are not full-time. Minor league pitchers are not batting until you get to double A. And even then, it's like a third of the games. Uh, I, I think the pitch clock is important because it will help the pace of play, but it's going to be really difficult for major league players to get used to that. So you definitely got to implement that as much as you can in the minor leagues. I like nine inning double headers. That's major league baseball. Seven innings should go on in the minors. I liked the runner on second and extra innings for the regular season. I think it's got no business in the postseason. but if they're going to get games quicker, if they're going to inject some intense baseball right away where you need a run scored, I think it's good. And then uh, larger bases, I really don't have an opinion on. Banning, in the, sh- <laughs> banning the shift, I- I'm, a- I'm a fan of too, because I do think it'll force hitters to uh, put the ball in play a lot more. It goes a lot longer than that, but I am a fan of banning the shift. 
Yeah, and maybe a way to rephrase that too. Uh, what about a restriction of the shift? What if we get like 50-50 with it? You know, the same way that B NBA changed legal defenses. 50-50 you know, is fine. Yeah, You've got yeah. the dividers right there with second base. So I, I, yeah, know, yeah. I know it breaks against the, the history of baseball, but I'm a fan of it. Yeah, make it like an offsides call in hockey or something. It's like both skates were both cleats were across the line when the ball was pitched. Uh, Wayne, I would love to have you weigh in. Of all these um, issues and maybe developments in baseball that they want to change moving forward, which one do you think could perhaps be most impactful on the game? Pitch clock, uh, larger bases, uh, banning the shift, nine inning doubleheaders, or universal DH? Yeah, no, I, I don't think that. I mean, the doubleheader is just going to go back to normal. Um, you know, the DH is uh, is going to obviously kill the double switches and those sorts of things managers have to worry about. You know, I think uh, after 2020, seeing the pitchers hit again was kind of like trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. It really seemed out of place after the 2020 season where there was a universal DH. So I think people will adjust pretty easily uh, to that. Really the two biggest changes that can be made as far as impact on the field is the pitch clock and the shift ban. Uh, I think one is counterproductive to what you're trying to do, whereas one, I think, is very productive. I think the a pitch clock sh should work. We see these guys take so long. You know, last year, The Athletic did a side-by-side -side video of the pitch clock in the California League with, the, with no pitch clock in Major League Baseball, and there was a, a span of like six pitches in an at-bat, and the California League video ended about 25 seconds before the Major League Baseball video ended. And it's it just that times whatever, how many pitches are in a game just really drags it out. And I think that that's the biggest change will come from the pitch clock. Banning the shift, I don't know. I think it's counterproductive because you're going to get the ball in play more probably. You're also going to get a lot more hits. You're going to get a lot more runs scored. You, you know, you're going to get guys that are now getting on base and clogging up the bases more. And I, I think you're going to find that the game times might not change much because you're going to have more action. Yeah. But you're also going to have uh, just as long of a game because these games are going to end up with, with higher numbers of hits and higher numbers of runs scored. Um, so I, I don't know that I, I think that the shift ban is overthinking it a little bit. They've been shifting hitters since the beginning of the game. You know, you look back to Babe Ruth getting shifted and Ted Williams and Stan Musial that, the only thing that's different now is they just do it more. They do it to all the left-handed hitters, basically, um, and even some of the right-handed hitters now. So I, I think that's overthinking it. I think it takes some of the strategy out of the game. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a good move. I don't think it's even going to help as far as time of game is concerned. I think you'll get a much snappier game, though, with a pitch clock, and then I think you got to let the guys play from there. I'm in agreement with you on the pitch clock for sure. Uh, I've, I've talked about this before as a possible gimmick. And this might hurt purists heart, but what if the pitch clock ticked down instead of up? Where you actually have now five, four, three, two, one, and you have the crowd getting involved in it and all this other kinds of stuff, something to consider. But just in general, I'm right there with you guys because this is the the baseball fan in me at heart when we'd get tickets to a White Sox game and my buddy would be like, Who's on the mound? And I'd go, Mark Burley. We would literally dance because we knew that this game was going to be a hot, tight two hours and ten minutes. We are like, you tell me we're going to be on the train by 345? This is amazing. This is awesome. And if we can somehow, the game of baseball can get, get a little bit closer to that. Not all the way there, but just a little bit closer. I think we'll, we might be able to be on to something here. Gentlemen, that's, thank you so much for coming. Oh, Joe, please. Just, just really quick. That's why the media love Mark Burley, too.
Yeah, 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 exactly. He gets it. He throws it. I got my story. I'm printed. I'm home. I'm eating dinner. Six o'clock. Let's do it. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the pod. I really want to get you two guys together. I've had you on separately. You've both talked about working alongside each other. And just want to learn a little bit more about the Kane County Cougars. Uh, rich, rich, rich history is fantastic. And now look at you, both of you now moving on and doing wonderful things with professional organizations, the Mets and the Blackhawks, respectively. Thank you so much for taking the time. Joe, real quick before you go, please just throw out your socials for the audience. People that check out the way, for, you know, there's still some Blackhawks games left. Check out some pre and post. And uh, you're doing amazing stuff, man. So throw it out there. Thanks. Yeah, the Hawks are hosting the Bruins tonight, 730 puck drop central time. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Joe underscore brand one. And uh, you can catch my weekly show, Blackhawks Live, on WGN Radio. Just go to WGNRadio.com for all the times of it. Wayne, I really appreciate you coming back on the pod again. Uh, I, I would be remiss to let you go without giving a plug out for Italian Dreams. After a Kane County Cougar game, make sure you get yourself a slice of pizza. Also, too, as well, uh, the Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame. We brought, we talked about that the last time that you were on. You know, the weather's getting nicer in the Midwest. Great time to get out of the house and go check out the Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame. Wayne, if you could throw out your socials, too, as well. Thank you so much for coming back on the pod, man. And I really appreciate you taking the time. You got it, Joey. Thanks for having me. Uh, my Twitter is just uh, my name, so easy to find. And uh, hopefully uh, we have a, a nice, full complete baseball season broadcasters traveling and, and all that get back to to normal finally after these last couple of years well have a great time you're going to be in the best division in baseball this year it's going to be pretty wild i know there's a couple weeks left but the, i know the phillies probably got some sort of trick up their sleeve still to maybe match all the action that's going on right now with olsen signing long term and all the stuff that the mets are doing and uh it's also refreshing to have an owner who says you know what in baseball i'm spending money i don't care put it on the bill Put it in the doggy bag. We're taking it to go. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago, Joe Christopoulos was presented by BetOnline.ag. It's tournament time, so make sure you head to the website because you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. For March Madness, you got to do it. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. We'll be back with more the rest of this week. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.